Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, Kevin is here to talk some golden horse news, La TV and cinemas get in a tiff over Lao Ching Wan's latest film, and then it's on to the underworld with Nick Chung in Keeper of Darkness. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin. Where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hello and welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and lots of stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, and coming to you from his news desk in a limbo that looks like a cornfield is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, everybody. Hello, Paul Fox. Hello. Welcome. Welcome to December. Yeah, it is. Last last month of the year. I was at last year of the month, but what the hell? <laughs> last month of the year. Yeah. How's it feeling? Well, we had a couple cool days, but we've uh, subsequently cool war- warmed back up, right? Yeah, it looks like warming back up, but we're not here to talk about weather. Um, yeah, I mean, is it time to start reflecting on uh, on the year, you know, sins of the year, good things, bad things, all that good stuff, New Year resolutions time, right? Uh, yes, indeed, uh, although uh, I think I failed on many of my resolutions for this year, one of which was to be sure to see every Hong Kong film, which I have not done. I, I, I think we, we went as close as possible, I think. Yeah. Tried as hard as we could, I think. Uh, I did, but uh, I still failed in the end. Maybe maybe uh, 20, uh, 2016 will be a better year. Dude, you watched, what, it was a Fortune Hotel. Yeah, I did make it to that. Big for- But you, you didn't miss Lost in Wrestling, how dare you? Yeah, missed Lost in Wrestling, missed uh, Lost in Hong Kong. Um, oh, I could... Missed, on and on uh, missed a bunch it. of other stuff hopefully we'll be able to catch it on the flip side you know when we get video releases for things hard to say better start stocking up on those uh video on demand accounts paul i mean this these movies are gonna end up every, everywhere but dvd mm. well yeah uh, hopefully you know when we get netflix it'll all get piled on there we'll have to wait and see all right but we're not here to talk about uh this kind of stuff we're here to talk about some Movies and some news. So, uh, Mr. Ma, it's over to you at the news desk. What do you have for us this week? Over at the news desk. Um, well, as we all know, last month, or was it two months ago, Star Wars tickets went on sale last month uh, over in uh, the States. And uh, pre-sale started here uh last weekend so paul have you bought your star wars tickets yet i have not because and when i say tickets i mean i'm expecting you to watch this more than once of course well we'll see <laughs> depends on the first viewing uh i have not because i won't be here um so i couldn't buy the tickets as they went on sale here and i'm still not too sure what the scene is going to be stateside mm-hmm. um you know i've talked to a couple friends over there the area that my parents live in when it's going to be released is kind of a senior citizens area. So I'm thinking I'll be able to get in like on a Monday or Tuesday matinee show, um, you know, that, that first week of release with no problem because people are still going to be at work. Right. So that's my plan. It might fail. Uh, I could be stuck for, you know, the next three weeks or so with just no ability to get into a cinema. Um, and then I come back here and hopefully it'll still be playing. We'll see. Yeah, you kind of never know there. Um, yeah, I already got my tickets. I went with, um, I went and bought um, the Midnight Show, one of the Midnight Show tickets. Um, a very, very rare Midnight Show here in Hong Kong. And I think, I guess, kind of driven by, well, Disney's marketing machine more than the real demand for it but anyway um yeah i'm gonna be watching the midnight show and actually i already promised a friend in the states when i go back um for christmas we already bought tickets for the for the imax show on the 30th so i'm not even watching the imax version here hmm. so yeah i'm dude what, what today's the second so 
My God, fourteen more days. Yeah, I, I'm. You know, I'm. I'm a bit contained. Uh, we did. Uh, we did a marathon of the uh, uh, original trilogy uh, this past weekend, and yeah, I'm just gonna wait and see. I, re- I remember I was very excited uh, when the prequels uh, first, you know, were getting ready to drop and um, the build up and the waiting in line for tickets and all that stuff. Um, I, I did that before. I'm not. I'm not so sure I'm ready to do it this time. That's not to diminish my fandom at all, but I'm I'm, I'm a bit hesitant. Um, you know, Mr. Abrams has already kind of messed up one classic franchise. I'm hopeful that he doesn't mess up another. Uh, but oh, he didn't mess up. Star Trek was okay. I, I thought you know. <laughs> Star Trek okay, and I think I think actually he's under a lot more, under a much tighter leash here because I mean he's not. Star Trek, I think they kind of because it was a reboot, so they kind of let him do, uh, gave him a little more freedom. But I think for Star Wars, because you know he's working with actually much tighter leash, a lot more executives to deal with, and actually a collaborator, Lawrence Kasdan. So I, th- I think um, y- you know I, I kind of look forward to see what Mr. Abrams yeah. comes up with. And actually, some discussions I've had with others, um, they've alluded to the fact that they think he actually doesn't have a lot of creative input. That it's really Kennedy and Kazadan and others who are um, on the creative side, really putting the story elements and, and and things together more so than he is. Yeah, I think the, his job here is to not mess it up. That's pretty much his job. Yeah. Is to you know make it a solid start for the other directors to step in, and yeah, you know it's I, I well first I got to do the marathon. I got to find one day to do the marathon and. Things have sort of freed up a little bit lately, so um, I, I think I will do that marathon this week or next weekend, and then episode seven. Here we go. Yeah, but you know, it, in in terms of the sheer uh, being overwhelmed by just the sheer amount of stuff, I mean, it's uh, over here at least, and I'm guessing it's this way in the states. But everything has a cross-branded Star Wars thing going on with it. Um, different clothing chains. There's a makeup line. Um, you know, just, just pretty much anything you can think of is doing, you know, I saw like Tic Tac cans in 7-Eleven today, um, you know, with um, all different characters' faces on them and everything. It's, it's just, pretty much all about tie-ins. I mean, you, you, you have to be pretty much surrounded by it to yeah. feel the so-called manufactured buzz, right? And, no and one's I, heard anything about that. I think that's part of the problem for me is normally um, I'd be you know, heralding this, but the sheer amount of overdose of hype has kind of, uh, you know, pushed me back a little bit. And uh, the, that tends to happen when something, when I feel something's being over overhyped, um, it tends to turn me off a little bit. Um, but again, I'm, st- I'm still looking forward to it, but I'm, I'm just much more reserved. Honestly, I think, I think this little effort here is more well-planned than others because you still really have no idea what is happening with the film you really don't know what to expect from it yet unlike you know transformers you get a they you know it's not that they 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 hide i'm not saying that they give spoiler spoilers of every new trailer but you know with transformers film you kind of know what to expect uh and the story really has no surprise but there are still so many questions left hanging and i and i think that sort of mystery combined with the sort of media blitz that's going on it it's a very well calculated machine here that's that's operating i think yeah but uh, even even that even so um i've started to see a little bit too much it's like every other day there's like a a new clip that somebody's captured from uh, you know the the app or an additional overseas trailer or something that you know and people are so meticulously taking out seconds you know little gifs of things they they notice that Mm. um it's already started to be spoiled a little bit too much for me for my taste so i've kind of tried to back off on social media and and um i i can only imagine what it's going to be like you know opening weekend i'm just gonna have to shut social media down entirely i think you better block me on twitter on thursday morning my friend yeah because wednesday night when i'm done with that thing no kidding i i won't spoil for you well, no, I, I, I expect, you know, I'm, I wouldn't block anybody as a result. I just, I'm not going to turn on any social media for, you know, a few days until I actually get out to see it. Oh, totally understandable. Yeah. 
All right, well, if you haven't bought your Star Wars tickets yet uh, and you're in the same boat as me, um, you know, I hope you don't, you, you don't have as much difficulty as uh, they say people are having, um, at least stateside. So uh, well, I, we still might try and patch together a, a quick show, too, um, if we can work that out logistically once we are, are wherever we are when we see it. So we'll let Ooh. you know on that. Yep. So you have some news about Taiwan? Yeah, um, well, the Golden Horse Awards, um, in case you didn't read my live blog, happened a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we have um, the winners here. Um, last year, the big, big hoo-ha, or whatever, I don't even know these words anymore. Um, the big deal last year was um, a lot of mainland Chinese films went in and, and took a lot of the awards. Um, the Golden Horse Awards is actually a... Um, they go on a sort of submission system um, for Chinese language films. So any Chinese language film from um, any Chinese speaking region, if they submit, then they get into uh, the uh, they're eligible for the awards uh, as long as they they they, uh, they screen around a certain time period. But anyway, uh, this year Taiwan has sort of taken it back. Um, I remember mentioning before the Golden Horse Awards that it's not really a matter of whether the Ho Shao Shen film, The Assassin. Um, or I guess is this still the film that we can't we sh- that shall not be named? Uh, okay, no, it's fine. Let's let's talk about let's say the name, the assassin. Um, anyway, so it wasn't really a matter of whether the assassin would win anything, but it's a matter of how many it would win. And I was almost proven wrong because there was really a split a second um, over the course of the awards when I thought, oh my god, they might not actually give the top awards to the assassin. Um, that's because there is this Taiwanese film uh, called Thanatos Drunk um, by director Jiang So Chi. It's a very gritty um, cinema verite drama, uh, indie film uh, about these people who live in the underbelly of Taiwan. Um, the film sort of has some really negative word of mouth when it premiered in Berlin, but it came back to Taiwan and it won the top award at the Taipei Film Fest- Festival. Um, then it got nine nominations at the Golden Horse Awards, um, and actually, but at one point it won, it won four awards, while the Assassin only won three. So at one point I was kind of like, kind of a little scared, like, oh my god, the Assassin might actually lose the top award, and Thanato Strunk might actually have a chance. But no, at the end, um, the Assassin won Best Director for Ho Shao Shen and a Best Picture award. Um, while Thanatos Drunk uh, did win four awards, the second biggest winner of the night, um, winning Best New Actor, um, let's see, Best New Actor, Best Music, Best Editing, and uh, Best Supporting Actress. Um, And it actually seemed like very much that the the jury, um, led by director-producer Chen Kuo-Fu, it was a very even-handed sort of they make very even-handed decision this year, as in what I mean was that they they sort of spread out evenly. Um, they didn't really favor one single film. Instead, they sort of gave awards. Really, they really thought about which film deserved it, and they sort of make sure they gave that every film sort of deserved recognition. Um, so, for example, you would get Jai Jiang Ke film, uh, Mountains May Depart. It had eight, seven nominations, but only one Best Original Screenplay. Um, Best best actress went to Karina Lamb. Woo! Um, sorry, that's, I, I really like Karina uh, for the drama Xenia Flower. Um, it's her comeback film. So so the fact that you know her her comeback film wins her the best um, actress award, um, her first best actress award at the Golden Horse Awards. Um, and previously she won best new actress for July Rhapsody and also best supporting actress i believe so so for her to take also now the best actress award is a pretty big big deal um director feng xiaogang chinese director feng xiaogang won best actor for the chinese film mr six and if you haven't seen it it's a highly recommended film it's coming out in december in the states and china and other western nations where chinese films get day and date release um you, and and I believe, and it's my personal opinion, that uh, Feng Xiaogang really did deserve the award. And you will have to see to believe that actually Feng Xiaogang can act. Um, other winners, uh, best animated film. It's a two film pool. Um, Madou, me and my mom beat um, 
Monkey King Hero is Back, the really hit Chinese animated film. Um, best adapted screenplay, or sorry, best new screenplay, I believe. Uh, best original screenplay. Sorry, best adapted screenplay went to a Tibetan film called Tharlo. Um, the Assassin won a total of five awards, like I said earlier, um, including best cinematography, um, best uh, costume and wardrobe design, and luckily it did not win best action design. Um, and I guess the biggest news of the night is that Aaron Kwok lost the best actor category. No. Or, or I got so we should have captured that 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 scene divergence where he's in a car and he's like, while the car rolls backwards. <laughs> I mean that's kind of how he felt at the moment. But anyway, um, yeah, poor Aaron. Anyway, um, so Mountains May Depart lost six of its categories, uh, six of its nominated categories, but it did win the Golden Horse Film Festival Audience Award. And uh, director Ho Shaoshen, uh, as pre- previously announced, won the Outstanding Taiwanese Filmmaker of the Year, um, I guess for, you know, kicking all those French films ass at Cannes, except for the one that won the Palme d'Or. Um, but you know, those other French movies that no one really care about at this point. Um, so yeah, that's it. Uh, Golden Horse Awards. Paul, um, have not seen any of the films, haven't you? Um, <laughs> nope. Zenithlower, no. Not yet. Mr. That, that, Six, just, not that yet. just got released here like a week ago. Uh, about two weeks ago, and when it came out, um, they or when, when Karina won the award, they expanded uh, the release. So now I really have no excuse, Paul. Yeah, they can expand the releases all day. Doesn't give me more hours of time to, to, to <laughs> well, get out to no, watch you, stuff. You have seen taking taking uh, the taking of Tiger Mountain 3D. No, you have not seen taking not of Tiger seen. Mountain 3D. Nope. I'll, I'll get you that Blu-ray. Um, okay then. Um, well, we'll come back to this when and and I, I, unfortunately, uh, McDull, me and my mom is also uh, absent from my view list. On it's another one I got to get out and make time to watch. Eh, honestly, I think it's the worst of the series, but I guess the jury thought that it was, you know, better than the Chinese Monkey King movie. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's it for another year of Golden Horse Awards. If you would like to look back at what happened during the ceremony, please go to www.lovehkfilm.com. Look on the right-hand side column. You'll see the Golden Rock um, 2015 uh, Golden Horse Live blog. Uh, it is... About four hours of random, you know, random ranting with me and my friends. Um, so, you know, approach of caution. But, yeah. So, you, you always be cap with that one. All right. Very good, sir. What What do you have next for us? Something uh, about uh, Le TV? That's right. Okay. So, uh, The Vanished Murderer was... Um, the Vanished Murderer is the film that's coming out this week in Hong Kong and possibly the film for the next episode. But anyway, the film was released last week in China. It is produced by Love Vision, um, which is owned by company Le TV, the um, video platform company that's currently making a huge push into Hong Kong right now. But anyway, they're based in China. Um, and in China, not only do they make set-top boxes, they've only made, they also made uh, 4K televisions and also 3D, what they call super 3D televisions. Um, so anyway, the day before the official release of the film in cinemas, um, Little TV decided to hold a special screening of the film for the owners of its super 3D TVs. Um, but the problem is, after the announcement, several Chinese uh, cinema chains um, announced that they were not going to screen the film because of what La TV is doing. Um, this sounds familiar. That's because it's happening in America. Um, Netflix, um, you know, since they've gone into uh, film releases, they've doing they've been trying to do these day and date releases, and cinemas are not having any of it. Um, so, for example, Beast of No Nation recently, they decided they announced a day and date release, and that caused the four top cinema chains in the, in the United States to essentially boycott the film because it violates the so-called 90-day release window. Now, the, the Chinese cinemas don't really have these 90-day release window um, when a film's been released for about two months or so within two months they're pretty much on these paid video platforms so um there's not so much a release window but there is no strict release window but there is one 
Um, so cinemas are kind of still trying to fight these these internet video platform because they are growing at a very rapid rate, and it especially when 3D was the way that they could get audiences to show up to cinemas um, because it was an experience they could not uh, recreate at home. When they hear that 3D TV set is going to recreate that 3D cinema experience at home without all the noisy audiences and expensive concession and blah, 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 of course cinemas are going to scared. So after, you know, a boycott threats from a few um, uh, cinema chains, Love TV got together. Um, they do have to protect the box office of their films. So at the end, they they announced that they were canceling the screenings or they kind of did it defiantly because they defended the whole policy saying that it was only going to reach up to 50,000 um, owners of the TV. So let's say, so 50,000 people own the, or, or 50,000 um, television sets have been sold, but they expect maybe half those people would tune in anyway. Um, but in the end, they lost to the cinemas, but the cinemas really still didn't really um, warm up to the film, um, giving only about 10% of screening shares um, over the weekend. And unfortunately, it didn't do very well at the box office. So um, this, I, I predict that this kind of clashes between, you know, because uh, a few major video platforms uh, do are into film productions. Yuku has Hei Pictures. Lil TV has Lovision. I think Tencent is going also going into um, uh, film production. So the more we see these internet companies get into, well, Alibaba also on uh, in film production now. So the more we see these these internet video platform going to film production, um, whether it's Netflix or in America, whatever. Um, the way that they, they keep trying to sort of bring bring the film experience home, I think we're going to see more sort of pushback from from cinemas in both China and uh, the United States. Paul, um, are are we going to uh, get into a debate about this? Well, I don't think there's much to debate. Um... What do you think? Do do you think that a Nef- just because a film is playing on Netflix day and date? Would it stop you from going to to cinema? Let's say Beast of No Nation. It comes out on Netflix. Uh, let's say this Friday. Would you not choose to? Do you think the cinemas are right to boycott the release because you know they feel that it's unfair competition? Um, if speaking from their position, um, yes. Speaking from my position, no. <laughs> Would you would you have chosen to go? Would you choose to go to cinema to watch the film if it was on no. Netflix or? No, hmm. I, I I prefer the convenience. Uh, I mean, the cinema experience f- for a lot of films that I end up going to see is somewhat overrated. I think hmm. um, if you go with a group socially, hmm. um, that's great. But a lot of movies I end up watching by myself. If I had the option to pay the same ticket price and not have to travel out to the cinema and buy expensive popcorn because, you know, they don't let me bring in food and, and these kind of things. You know, I'm perfectly happy to stream something to my computer, to my home TV, to my iPad. And I've, I've done it. I mean, there are, all, there are a lot of indie movies that go this route. They don't have, because they don't have the connections with the cinema distribution. So I've seen stuff that's popped up on iTunes before, um, while it's running in the cinema, and you have the option to pay, you know, um, ticket price to rent it. Um, mm. So mm. this is something that's, you know, been happening in bits and pieces. I think what some production companies are starting to realize is that there's a lot more money to be made there, possibly, than through sharing necessarily with the traditional cinema model. But, um, you know, I do understand the position of the cinemas. So I can I can sympathize um, with some extent, but this is this is the way that the the wheel is turning now. I mean, um, especially when you've got companies like Netflix and others, Amazon, you know, starting to produce their own content. Well, I, I find it ironic that the more we sort of advance in this technology, we talk about 4K and 3D and um, uh, 12.1 audio, and yet people are sort of still resisting this the more technology we have the people seem to watch films on smaller screens i i still think that the cinema experience really cannot be sort of recreated and i think it's something to be treasured and and honestly i I think that um 
if, if you give me the choice, I would still try and go to the cinema to watch a film. And yeah, I think I think there's an equal division probably, but I'm in the opposite camp. I you know the 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 massive inflation of ticket prices over the years, especially with the introduction of 3D, which I can't stand. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it you know it just smacks of the the cinemas trying desperately to hold on to the customer base that's slipping through their fingers and it's the wrong thing okay i don't i don't i don't care i don't care about louder speaker sound right it's not that you know if the seat rumbles that doesn't impress me that doesn't make me want to spend the extra you know the extra extra income on an advanced ticket price i mean even imax i know people love imax but for me the imax experience has been you know, lukewarm at best. Um, to be fair, to be fair, the 3D thing is movie studios' idea of trying to make extra cash, not not the cinemas. The cinemas is sort of cashed in on it, sort of try to find their own way to cash in on it by with the ludicrous um, uh, uh, price boost. For example, the IMAX 3D uh, version of Star Wars here, it's $250 a ticket, which is more expensive than watching an IMAX from the States. It's ridiculous. So I, I I don't disagree with you on that point, Paul. That the these these cinemas are. I, I think that there there needs to be, a, cinemas need to rethink their approach. Um, mm-hmm. And and it's it's not in the technology. Maybe it's in the customer service somehow, or in concession. You know, uh, fi- finding alternatives to traditional concession. Um, I think it's in branding as well. Like. Yeah. Um, uh, if you look at the Korean cinema model, a lot, of, even though, you know, the biggest cinema is, is owned by the big Chabo, um, they still sort of make an effort to at least try and make an effort to sort of brand the cinema like this art house brand. Look for, you know, we, we play these art house films to try and, you know, show that we are about film culture, blah, blah, while cinemas here can, can barely hide their greed. Um, with you know, they don't really care about film culture or film art. They just sort of like, you know, here, here, here's a cinema and here's a ticket price. Take it or leave it, kind of, kind of deal. I think, or they try to sell it as a luxury brand, which for me is just sort of, it, it's a sort of a symbol of how greed drives Hong Kong, how money driven Hong Kong is, even luxury. You know, you know. Let me give you a, a, an example that I remember from my childhood, and this was. I'm dating myself here, but like back in the late 70s um, <laughs> with movies like um, the one that sticks in my mind is uh, The First Superman with Christopher Reeve. Um, I went to this cinema. I, I don't even remember if it was an independent or part of a chain. Um, and it's now, it, it, it's long since gone. It's become like three other things over the years. Um, but you go to the cinema and for every movie... Um, the, well, the, the bigger movies, like I remember Star Trek, the motion picture, Superman, uh, a couple others, they would have a movie book, right? And it was, you know, soft cover, magazine-sized book of the film, right? And, you know, it would have pictures inside. It wasn't really a press kit kind of a thing. Yeah, but, Japan still has this. You know, and it was one of the things I looked forward to getting, when I would go to the movies, right? You couldn't get it at other theaters, only at this theater. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know where, if they, it was something they had, you know, a deal with the um, with the, the studios to produce these, or they produced them on their own, or I don't know, because I was much too young to understand that kind of stuff. I just know that when I went to the movie, watch movies at this place, I could get a book, and I loved the books, right? They were cool. You know, it's that kind of stuff, I think, that... Uh, uh, you know, this was was part of the cinema experience that you know could be reconsidered. Yeah, um, I think Hong Kong has sort of had going the wrong direction in terms of what we call the the cinema cinema experience. Um, anyway, uh, I think Hong Kong cinemas totally need to rethink how they see the cinema experience and how they're trying to brand the cinema experience. Um, yeah, I think it's kind of sad the way what movie making movie going has become here in Hong Kong. It's, I- I am curious if you know about the La TV side of it, though, because I've seen local um, big poster ads for the La TV box. Right. It basically looks like an Apple TV. I mean, Pretty I, much. at first I thought it was, you know, at a distance, I thought, oh, is that new Apple TV? What is that? No, La TV, they have a TV box now. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering if it works any better than the app, because the app, I can't 
do anything with. It's it's region blocked here in Hong Kong. So I'm thinking, how are they selling? And and I they've had a big marketing push here because um, through 7-Eleven of all things, they've had guys like standing, la TV people standing in and sometimes in the smaller ones outside of 7-Elevens, trying to sell you know these boxes and packages. I guess that come with them somehow. To me, the video on demand um, uh, feature of Love TV is useless to me because a lot of the films, like I said, like you said, a lot of the China films they carry in this in China, they don't have rights to. They don't. They won't be able to carry Hollywood films. So you know, you get certain Chinese films maybe they have the rights to, like the films they produce, for example. Um, I'm guessing Tiny Times might be on uh, Love TV, but um, they are kind of selling, I think it sort of shifted a little bit instead of selling video de- on demand, they're selling themselves as an alternative to the uh, set-top box service like like Loud TV. So they're carrying live stream of channels. Oh, I see. Um, so they have, you know, channels that carry Western TV shows, I think like like CBS Entertainment or something, a few mm. of those channels. Um, so I guess they sort of shifted their angle. Um, they're, no lo- they're not really, they don't really work as a video on demand service here uh, as the way they do in China. Um, instead, they work as like a set-top, you know, um, a cable sort of right. alternative, IPTV essentially. Right. Okay, right. interesting. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. I mean, if you are on one side or the other of the cinema going experience you know write in let us know what you think or head over to facebook and leave us some comments i'd be interesting to see if i'm in the minority which i think i am right now um in terms of uh, being somebody who's more prone to just downloading a day of release movie and watching it rather than uh, heading out to the cinema Sounds like I'm the old old you know curmudgeon here Paul. I don't understand this 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 dynamic we have going here I think I'm. I, I think you could argue that I'm the old curmudgeon too, in some ways, because I don't want to leave my house. You know, it's like <laughs> get off my lawn or, or kind of a thing. Um, kids. But I'd be I'd be curious to see what the what the breakdown is. So um, you know, what other listeners' preference would be, and and you know, uh, are they on the, sort of the Kevin side of the fence or the Paul side of the fence? No one's ever on my side. We're always on your side, sir. Um, also, just a quick note, uh, speaking about uh, releases and, and whatnot, um, I saw that over on Facebook this mentioned, and I went over to Amazon to bookmark it, um, a video DVD release, re-release, I guess, technically, of Pedicab Driver is going to be dropping later this month on Amazon. So this is sort of a much sought-after uh, film because of very limited availability. So if th- this is a film you're looking forward to getting. I don't know... I've heard different variations on quality and, and whatnot, so I don't know anything about that yet. But um, right, this, this is a part of the Warner Archive, uh, Warner Brothers uh, Golden Harvest Archive. I think on the same day they're also releasing Big Bullet, the Benny Chan film, um, and they supposedly have already released The Blade, I think. So I think it's four films that are coming on the same day. Um, you kind of have to do a better search on Amazon because Amazon has not fixed those product titles yet to make them easy to search. Uh, but I've already brought, I've already ordered Big Bullet, um, and I'll pick it up in uh, the states when I go back to the states for Christmas. Um, so yeah, Paul, you gonna buy buy those? I'm pretty sure I'm getting Pedicab Driver. I don't know about the others. Maybe the Blade um, as well. Um, but we're only these are only coming out on DVD, right? We're not getting any kind of HD versions of these. Only DVD, but apparently Warner claims that they did do HD uh, remasters of them, and they had them on the Warner Archive streaming website for a while, and then mm. they've taken it off since. Yeah. yeah. So. Okay. Um, well, you know, better DVD than none at all. So that's exactly. a good thing. Yeah. All right. Why don't we take a short musical interlude, and we'll be back with our review this week of. Nick Chung in Keeper of Darkness. And we're back. Our film this week, the second directorial feature from actor-turned-director Nick Chung, Keeper of Darkness. 
So the story of this um, is about uh, a boy who grows up born with the ability to see ghosts. His name is Wong Wing Fat, played by Nick Chung. And he's experienced in helping both the haunted and the haunters. He sort of plays the middle. He likes to keep to himself. He's a very private person. But when a ghost eater, that is a ghost that eats other ghosts, appears and starts to cause trouble by killing off fellow spiritualists, uh, Fott turns to a reporter, played by Cicely Choi, to help him find out the background of the spirit haunting him. But in doing so, he may place at risk everything that he holds dear. So, um, if you think back to a year ago, my feelings on Hungry Ghost Ritual were very mixed. And as a sort of uh, freshman debut, I think it was it had some okay aspects, but it had a lot of problems with it. So here we are a year later, and a thousand times better, I'm thankful to say. Um, uh, I think that he kind of knocked it out of the park with this one. Um, this film took me to places I did not expect to go, and I really love that in a film. Um, I had a certain kind of expectation going in. It kind of went in a few of those directions, but then it changed it up, and uh, I didn't see the change up really coming, um, but I was very much hooked uh, when, when it did. The thing I liked about this film the most is that Nick Chung continues to show that he can be a badass, and, um, and still... Even, even a downplayed badass like this character is, and, and still be very, very cool. Um, he brings a very subdued charm to the role. Uh, the movie also has lots of good cameos. Um, he has two kind of friends that you know, he hangs with. One is played by um, Louis Chung, who's kind of all over TVB of late. Um, but he's been, you know, he's done some cameo work in, in other films, and he's kind of a sidekick um, that uh, follows him around, and I, I guess he's from, they, they mention that he's kind of from money, so he doesn't have to worry about working, and he's just very interested in sort of the supernatural, um, and so he kind of just follows Nick's character around for parts of the film, tries to help, but a lot of times he's smarmy and annoying. Philip Kung is also here. Um, he's kind of like a triad guy, but... Um, Nick's character has helped him out a lot, and so he, he protects him and, and him, him and his gang of buddies uh, help him out when uh, he, he needs some help. And so it's kind of like this odd, you know, relationship that he has, but it's sort of, it's not the traditional kind of, you know, triad relationship. So they're both surprising. They're both, both somewhat fun. There are quite a few other cameos here that creep up on you. Um, and I'm not going to spoil them here. Uh, I'd love to talk more about them, but I don't want to spoil them because it kind of ruins the fun because you're just kind of sitting there and somebody shows up on screen like, oh, oh, that's, uh, you know, that person. Um, there's a big surprise cameo at the end, too. It's already been spoiled in the press today. Has it? Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm not going to spoil it here. If you want to go out and spoil yourself, you're welcome to do so. But all I can say is bring it. Bring it now. As I said, the basic plot is that there's this uh, ghost eater who is going around killing other spiritualists, you know, um, the, these, these <clears throat> mediums, people who use feng shui and, and who can claim they can talk to spirits. Um, and uh, some of them are fake, but some of them, well, like Nick Chung's character, actually have some ability. Um, so first he has to sort of investigate a little bit about, you know, w what's going on um, and he finds that he's kind of next in line. This, uh, this ghost eater, you know, basically comes and confronts him and says, I'm coming after you next. Um, he needs to find some help. And this is where the, uh, Cicely Choi, also from uh, mostly TVB, this is her first feature film, at least according to uh, Hong Kong Movie Database. Um, but she's all over TVB stuff too. She comes in as kind of a reporter, investigator kind of character to help him out and, and dig up some background, but she's also the reactionary. She's reacting to um, seeing real ghosts and encountering real ghosts. She's worked for spiritualists before as kind of entertainment TV, um, but she's never sort of encountered this um, actual side of, of, you know, ghost hunting and ghost busting. And, you know, they, they have encounters throughout the film, but that, that that's not the main basis of, of what this film is about. Once you get out of the first act, this film really becomes about Nick's relationship with another ghost, played by um, actress um, uh, where's her? Uh, Amber, Amber Quo. Quo. Yeah, um, which was very surprising for me. Now, Amber Quo, 
for me is hit or miss. Uh, she has an amazing ability to be very changeable. And in fact, I didn't recognize her at first in the role she was doing here. Maybe part of that was due to the special effects of the film. But she's very hit or miss for me. And I got to say, this was a big hit. I really liked the character she was playing. Um, it was a far cry from the last time I saw her, which was in um, Triumph in the Skies, the movie, um, back at the start of the year when she was kind of playing a very annoying character. Here, um, I really enjoyed her. I enjoyed her chemistry with Nick Chung and um, the way that they're, how he knows her and, and, you know, kind of their relationship is uncovered throughout the film was um, very surprising. And I, I really enjoyed that part of it. Um, now, as a supernatural film, um, there's quite a few special effects. Um, and the special effects don't always work, right? However, being, that being said, because I was so engaged with the story, I didn't care. It's not to say that they didn't put some effort into the effects, because they did. This is a far cry better than some of the other um, horror ghost films that I've talked about of late. Um, the effects, the look of the effects are somewhat similar to the eye in some ways. So if you go back and um, look at how they did some of the ghost portrayals in that, they've kind of done a variation on some of that. And it almost feels like this could be in the same universe as, as that film at times. Although I, there's no direct connection as far as I know. I don't think that the Pangs worked on this. But just kind of the look, the tonal look, and um, the way they portray the ghosts um, in, at some times reflects uh, had me reflecting back to 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 the eye quite a bit also in the past i've talked about um you know the, the problem i have with a lot of ghost films is the ghost logic and you know what what happens when somebody dies a violent death and then why don't they become a ghost and what happens if a ghost kills you and then you become a ghost why don't you kill the ghost you know this film actually follows through on some of these ideas not the exact ideas that i was talking about but it does kind of do a bit of world building, which is really good. They do a really good job with the world building here. They they don't get too explanatory. They don't explain everything. Um, they leave some things, you know, uh, un, un, uncovered, as it were, um, for you to kind of come back and, and think about, and maybe they can expand on it. Um, but they explain, you know, why some people are ghosts and other people are not. They explain... Um, some aspects of, you know, how people can kind of stop being ghosts at a certain point. And it all, at certain points, ties in with the story. The one thing that they never really explain um, sufficiently for me is why the big bad, though, becomes this thing they call a ghost eater. That's a ghost that can actually eat other ghosts. And, and why he was so powerful, like, only now. Why, why not before? Is it because he you know, ate a hundred ghosts or ate a thousand ghosts and now he becomes a super ghost or something. They really didn't get too much into that, but it's just he's the big bad and he's significantly more powerful than the average ghosts um, and he uses that power to his advantage. So I do have a couple grievances with the film. Um, the, the scenes up into the first act were a bit too loud. Um, most of the first act is dedicated to trying to be a somewhat straightforward horror film. Um, with, you know, um, loud noises, um, you know, sudden jump cuts when, it's, you know, they, there's a ghost to be encountered and things to kind of startle you. And once it gets out of beyond that first act, um, there's a tonal shift. And for me, it became a lot more fun, um, not, not in a comedic sense, but just in terms of the storytelling and, and what they were doing with the story. It seemed like they had much more interesting things to do again, in terms of the world building. They do still throw in some scares in places, but not to the, not to the extent in the first act. There, there's one sequence in particular when the actress, um, Cicely Choi, and she's just getting scared, like right and left. She's in this room and, and uh, this ghost is haunting her. And she's just screaming, screaming at the top of her lungs. And it was just so loud and, and it got to the point of, of being annoyed um, that it was so loud. And I was glad when she finally you know, kind of got out of that scene. But through the second and the third act, again, uh, they kind of move away from, from that kind of thing, and it's, it was much more enjoyable for me. We never get to see Nick's full tattoos, either. If you look at the poster, he's got, like, this awesome bod of uh, these tattoos. Um, 
and they never really show it. They, there's a chance because I did have to run, and I literally ran to the bathroom at one point. It's a possibility they might have showed them during that brief uh, 45 seconds that I was gone because I was, I was hauling butt. I didn't want to miss uh, <laughs> any of this, but I don't think so. Um, so they may, again, be holding stuff back. You do get to see that he does have tattoos, right? But he never, like, rips his shirt off and, you know, uh, flexes or anything. This isn't a... Uh, unbeatable right there's a montage at the end that happens to kind of fill in some aspects of the story that might annoy some people but uh, for me it worked I kind of liked it but I did I was thinking myself I bet there's some people who are probably gonna look at this and go what why why are you doing this to me I wanted a super scary horror movie not this but again it kind of took me in a direction I wasn't expecting so I kind of enjoyed it Um, they've set this up for a part two uh in a way and um it's kind of very reminiscent in some ways of a of the character constantine so for those who follow dc comics and uh know the series or if you think that not so much the keanu film but the uh, the tv series um nick's character is a little bit like constantine but he's not a jerk um he's more of an introvert so um you can kind of think of it in that term. And so it's a, it's a prime character to be part of, you know, a, a series or a trilogy. And um, again, I really enjoyed what they did here. Even though they set it up for a part two, though, um, it still works as a standalone movie. Because the way that they st- set it up, it's, it's not that anything in the film's narrative for the first one is unresolved, right? So this isn't a case of, uh, you know, Empire Strikes Back or... Anything else? It's a little bit more like what was uh, what was Aaron's movie, uh, the detective. Uh, uh, detective, yeah. B, yeah. B plus detective was no, just called detective. The detective. Yeah, yeah. And so the first one kind of had this hook that you know w- led you led you to believe that there's more to the story, but that hook was kind of external to uh, the main narrative itself. So do a similar thing here, um, but for me, um, I really enjoyed the character, and I'm like bring me a sequel tomorrow. Um, they can't bring it fast enough. And, and I hope that this film does well enough that, uh, you know, they're able to go ahead with, with another one at least. So I really enjoyed it. Again, this probably may not be in everybody's wheelhouse, but it's really good to see uh, the growth of Nick Chung as a director. He shows a much more relaxed hand here, although, again, some issues in that first act with some of the scares, but um, better character development in this film, um, just a better overall sense of creating something that could, could potentially be long-lasting. It could potentially be a, a really good series. I remember feeling this way when I came out of um, the Andy Lau Detective D movie, right? It's like you just you just suddenly want more of it, um, and that's always a, a feeling that I really love having when I go see a movie. Don't always get it unfortunately. So I'm very pro about this film, maybe more so than, than other people. So I'll be curious to hear what some of my friends and what some of the listeners have to say when they get out to see it. And you are going to get out to see it, right, Kevin? I'll, I'll get to it sometime. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right. I like enjoying these horror movies at home when I kind of can control the, the volume um and this uh, continues to make me sound like a huge coward so 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 back to our earlier our earlier discussion then if this was a day and date streamed release would you be watching it right now <laughs> <laughs> if it wasn't a horror film <laughs> i believe in a cinematic okay. Sticking to your guns, sir. You're sticking to your guns. <laughs> I stick to my guns. Right. Um, uh, even then, I will wait till DVD. <laughs> no. Um, let, let's move on. All right. Awesome. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Kongcast.com for more.
You have been listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Jabor of Snauzer Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. We have also had a tremendous amount of support from um, all of the listeners out there like you. If you would like to be part of the show, you can get in touch with us via the website at congcast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T dot com or twitter.com slash congcast. You can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com and we're over on Facebook at East S. West S. So just get in touch with us along any of those channels. Tell us which camp you're in. You know, are you in the Kevin camp or are you in the Paul camp when it comes to uh, cinema and streaming and same-day releases and that kind of nonsense? Um, But do follow Mr. Ma and all the awesome work that he's doing on his daily basis, in his job, and in his freelance work. So where can they follow you, sir? Um, You can follow me, um, I guess, on Film Business Asia. Yeah, um, it's on www.com. Uh, www.filmbiz.asia um, has been updated for a few days now. Um, don't ask me why. Um, it's not my fault. Anyway, um, I guess by the time this podcast goes back, it might be back to normal. I don't know. Um, otherwise, you could, you're flying on Cathay Pacific or Dragonair flights. Uh, read Discovery Magazine. Uh, I am the entertainment editor there, so the in-flight entertainment section is all mine. Um, or if you're not flying anywhere anytime soon, uh, do check out the uh, iPad app. The, the, uh, you can find it on App Store under Discovery. Um, it's a really, really awesome app, and um, it really does bring sort of the magazine to life in a, in a very different way. Um, I am not in charge of the iPad app at all, um, except you know for some of the content. But the, the design of the app, at all, I'm not, I'm not, you know, involved in it. So, so it is truly, I truly believe that it's an awesome app. Um, Otherwise, I'm also on Twitter uh, at the Golden Rock, um, or you can email me at Kevin at FilmBiz.Asia. All right, excellent. Our next show will be number 180, and uh, if the planets align correctly and we can work things out time-wise, we will be looking at the Vanished Murderer, um, and all of that hopefully before um, myself and Mr. Ma head off to celebrate the holidays. Um, so I'm not sure what things will be like uh, once that happens, but as I said, we will try and throw together perhaps a Star Wars show when we're on the road, if we can, but uh, hopefully we'll be able to at least cover one more Hong Kong film before that happens. So all of that and more on our next show. Until then, this is the East Screen, West Screen podcast saying, if you can't be a ghost buster, be a ghost eater, and we'll see you next time. See you next time, everybody. <laughs>